you'll turn your Bibles this morning, our scripture reading will come from Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. The text today is related to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus here gives his Olivet Discourse. It is in the context of answering a question that the disciples have for him. The pair of brothers, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, are asking him, tell us when these things will be, what will be the sign of your coming, and when will all these things take place? Then Jesus gives the longest answer that he gives to any question in the Gospels. And he begins by telling them in verse 5 on through verse 23 all of the things that will happen during the tribulation. There will be great deception, there will be great persecution, and there will be great destruction. And in verse 24, he tells them about his return, the second coming of our Lord Jesus. Verse 24 of Mark chapter 13. The scriptures read, But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. and The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send forth the angels and will gather his elect from the four winds from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branches has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know the summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for such a wonderful text that tells us of your coming. It is that which we look forward to for all of your children 
look forward to your coming. We pray, God, that you would prepare us, that we might know and understand, that you would help us to love you more and to look forward to that which you have in store for us. Open the eyes of our heart once again, that we might see great and mighty things from thy word. In Jesus' name, amen. This past week, in the recent Business Insider article that was dated just this past Tuesday, reads, quote, South Korea is testing some 200,000 members of a doomsday church linked to more than 60% of its coronavirus cases. And as of Tuesday, 10 people had died of COVID-19, and at least 977 had been infected with it in South Korea, making it the worst-hit nation other than China. About 60% of those infected are members of the Xinjiangji Church of Jesus, based out of Daegu. The Korean Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said, I remember reading a testimony by a former member who said in that particular doomsday church that what they do is they pack them all in there like sardines, and after nearly every statement the pastor makes, the congregation says, Amen, potentially spreading the infection, which I don't think we have a problem here. You're all very reserved. The church was set up in 1984, and I was interested in this. It was set up in 1984 by Lee Man Hee and now has nearly a quarter million members, mostly in South Korea. Its teachings explicitly predict the end of the world in which only a few will be saved. Lee says he is the second coming of Jesus Christ and can take 144,000 people to heaven with him on Judgment Day, unquote. He is not the only one who set themselves up with the claim that they are the second coming of the Messiah. There are scores of leaders in cult groups and false churches. Sometimes they're out of some small backwoods fringe church out in the middle of nowhere. Other times they have hundreds of thousands of members like this particular church. Many people have also tried to pinpoint the date and the time, the end of the world will come, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and doomsday cults are not uncommon to claim that they have the date, or they are the people who have the Messiah in their church. That is exactly what Jesus had predicted and warned his followers of, of the coming time when the end times will come. Mark 13, verse 6, it tells us right in our text, Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will lead many astray. And then you go down to verse 21. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, behold, he is here, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. We've been looking at the characteristics of the end times. Three in particular, if you categorize them all, one will be great deception will occur, persecution among those who are believers, and then there will be great destruction at the end of the time. 
great deception as many prophets arise will claim to be the Messiah, and it's rather disconcerting to me how today in churches, and especially in the past 25 years, there's been a growing acceptance of modern-day prophets who go around prophesying the future, and they're accepted even though they may be often wrong. There is the persecution we see as we've looked at the text about those who will come. They will be arrested and handed over. Do not worry. They will be those who will betray brother to brother, verse 12, to death. And even a father, his child, or children will turn in their parents to have them put to death. There will be great, great division because of what happens. And another sign that is also going to be characteristic of the end times is the massive destruction which will come, and we looked at that last week, of God's judgment that is poured out upon the earth during this time of tribulation. But even in the midst of all of this tribulation, as we looked at book of Revelation last week, God will and God still will continue in an unprecedented way to reach out to people with the message of the gospel to a rebellious people with the good news of salvation whether it be through the 144,000, whether it be through the two witnesses, whether it be for the angel that will come in Revelation 14, 6 and 7, that will proclaim the gospel throughout the entire earth. And some during that time of tribulation will come to the Lord Jesus. Some will turn and be saved, while many will not. And last week, we looked at that time of judgment, which will come in the latter half of the tribulation period. They will come in a series of sealed judgments, and the trumpet judgments, and the, the bold judgments will take place. It will be in an unprecedented way that it will come. And it will continue on, and there will be destruction that will be unleashed upon the earth that is unparalleled in the history of the earth. As it says right there in verse 19, for those days will be a time of tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will. Never will there be a time of tribulation. Never will there be a time of devastation. Never will there be a time of catastrophic judgment upon the earth as we looked at last week from Revelation chapter 6 through 16 describing what will happen in the end. In the end, we looked at last week a false peace that will come. We looked at war which will come. Famine will come. Death will come. There will be a tremendous earthquake that will devastate the earth. There will be hail and fire which will consume a third of the earth. A third of the vegetation will burn. A third of the oceans will be turned to blood in chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. A third of the fresh water will be poisoned in chapter 8, verses 10 to 11. A third of the sun, moon, and stars will be darkened. And the fifth trumpet is blown after the first seven seals. The fifth trumpet, which comes out of that, the fifth trumpet was blown, and a bottomless pit opens up, and countless demons will flow out, released from bondage to terrorize mankind, chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. Then a third of the earth's population will be killed in verse 9, or chapter 9, 13. Another great earthquake will come, and 7,000 people will die, and then incurable sores will come, chapter 16, verse 2. There will be a complete judgment upon the sea, upon the water, upon the fresh water, and the earth. The entire earth will be turned upside down in terms of all of the sea creatures will die. The rivers will be turned to blood in chapter 16. The earth will experience extreme heat. 
And then darkness will engulf the whole world. We looked at that in chapter 16, verses 10 and 11. Euphrates River will dry up, and then there will be a final global earthquake that will cause massive changes to the topography of the earth. The massive topography changes of the earth, and then the, the light, the light will disappear. There will be darkness. There will be darkness. For it says in Matthew, Mark chapter 13, we look at verse 24. In those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. When you look at the entire celestial universe, it will change without a sun, without a moon. There will be no light. There will be blackness, pitch black darkness, and the earth will be swallowed up in all of this darkness of the judgment of God. But out of this darkness, light will come. That is where we look at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is pitch black, and verse 26 happens. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest ends of the earth to the farthest ends of heaven. Out of the darkness comes Jesus in his second coming. So we look at that now in Revelation, the last book of your Bible, chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19 at the second coming of our Lord Jesus in his glory. Revelation chapter 19. What we see here is when there is darkness in all of the celestial bodies, there is in heaven, there is praise unto God. Right before the second coming of Jesus, there is great praise in heaven. Verse 1, after these things, I heard something loud, a loud voice and a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who has corrupted the earth in her immorality. And he has avenged the blood of his bondservants of her. And a second time, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders, it says in verse 4, which are representatives of the church. And the four living creatures fell down. And what did they do? Worship God who sat on the throne saying, amen. Hallelujah. Do you know what amen means? When you say grace and you say in Jesus' name, amen, it means so let it be. So let it be. Do you know what hallelujah means? When we say hallelujah, we sing the songs, hallelujah. What does it mean? It means God be praised. So let it be. May God be praised for all that is to come. And there is a fourfold anthem that unfolds in heaven right before the coming of Jesus that praises God for all that God will do in the coming of the Lord Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Verse 5, and a voice came from heaven saying, give praise to our God. All you, his bondservants, you who fear him, both small and great. Verse 6, I heard something like a voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Lord Almighty reigns. 
And then Jesus comes. Jesus comes in glory. The bride, with the bride of Christ, the church made herself ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb in verse 7. And here the glorious coming of the Lord Jesus is unfolded for us in chapter 19, verse 11. When John, the apostle John, he looks and it says, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. That will be a sight to see. After all of the centuries of sin that has corrupted the earth and has driven mankind away from God, after all of the judgments that are poured out in the seal, the trumpet, and the bold judgments, the coming of Jesus comes in glory out of the blackness of the universe. He comes in glory riding on a white horse. That is what traditionally those who were victorious Roman generals would ride through the streets of Rome when they rode in in victory. And all of these things, it says, the crown, the sword, the rod of iron, the wine press, all reminders of his sovereign rule, all reminders of his regal glory and his power, all reminders of his judgment over sinners. And he is called faithful and true, unlike Satan, who is an unfaithful liar. In righteousness, it says, he judges and wages war. Jesus comes as the righteous judge, the one who will conquer, the one who is the impartial judge who will wage war against the wicked. As Habakkuk reminds us in 1.13, your eyes are too pure to approve evil and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Jesus comes unlike any other conqueror here in the world. Worldly conquerors who go and conquer other countries, they are driven by what? They're driven by their ambition. They're driven by their pride. They're driven by their desire for power. They're driven by their covetousness to have more territory, whatever it may be. They're driven by sin, driven by greed. They're driven because they want power over others. But Jesus is the righteous judge who comes to judge and to conquer in justice. And in righteousness, he comes to conquer as one commentator writes, quote, there is a limit to God's patience. Justice cannot always tolerate injustice. Truth cannot forever tolerate lies. Rebellion cannot be permitted to go on forever. Incorrigible, incurable, hardened sinners will face destruction. Mercy abused and grace rejected will ultimately bring judgment, unquote. He comes as a just and a righteous conqueror to make things right. And the text tells us in this text in chapter 19, his eyes are a flame of fire because there's nothing hidden from him. There is nothing hidden from the eyes of Jesus. As Hebrew 4.13 tells us, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are laid open and bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Jesus comes and he knows no hidden sin can be hidden from him. No injustice can be hidden from him. No criminal, no murderer, no thief, no sinner. No one can escape the all-knowing, seeing eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there he is. He's wearing many crowns on his head. And that he will rule over all. It says in verse 12, on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. 
He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. What is his name? The Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God, just like our church's theme, changing lives through the unchanging Word. For Jesus is the Word of God, and Jesus is always, as Hebrews 13.8 tells us, Jesus is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the unchanging Word, and only through Jesus are lives changed, and he appears in glory in his second coming. But the text tells us that he doesn't come alone. Verse 14, he comes, and the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Now, who are these people? These are various people, I believe, that are described in various places in the scriptures who are wearing white linens, who are coming, wearing white robes. We see in chapter 19, verse 7 and 8, it is those who are a part of the church, the bride of Christ. It is part of the tribulation saints in verse 9. The Old Testament saints also, I think, are a part of this in Daniel 12, 1 and 2, because they are resurrected at the end of the tribulation. Their bodies are. And the holy angels in Matthew 25, 31, all of these may be a part of that group as he comes with this massive army in verse 14, coming behind him in the clouds. With all authority, for verse 16 tells us, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do you know what? This is one of the key texts of the composition of Handel's Messiah. When Handel wrote that Messiah, he wrote it over a period of three to four weeks, some 24 days or something like that. In August and September in 1741, when the chorus goes, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, king of kings forever and ever, and Lord of lords, hallelujah, hallelujah. And when he was finished with that hallelujah, it's reported that he was servant, found him in tears, and he said, quote, I did think, I did see all heaven before me and the great God himself seated on the throne with his company of angels. And his own envisionment of the glory that would come is reflective of this text that is here because that glory will be that magnificent glory, the picture of Jesus coming in glory out of the darkness that God had plunged in judgment upon the earth. He comes riding a white horse, followed by a massive army wearing white robes in his second coming. What and when will this happen? If you look back at verse 28 in Mark chapter 13, when will this happen? Jesus tells us, very much so in verse 28. He gives a very simple illustration when his coming will take place. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Now fig trees were very common in the Middle East and the land of Israel. They would have been fruit on the buds and after there's fruit on the buds, the leaves would come out. The leaves would come out and you would know that summer is right around the corner. 
Now, I'm guessing most of you or none of you might have a fig tree in your yard. Maybe you do. I don't know. But when you see on your plants, I see on some of mine, there are these buds, these flower buds that are starting to come out. They're not quite opened yet, but I know spring is around the corner or summer is around the corner. And they would have very well known. This is what it would be like when you see these types of things happening. You know that it is near. The time is near. Even so, verse 29, even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is here, right at the door. When you see these signs of tremendous deception happening, when people are claiming to be the Lord Jesus, the second of the Messiah, when people are being persecuted for their faith in increasing numbers. When you see the destruction that will be coming, you know the second coming of Jesus is near. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. When Jesus says, I say to you, the pronoun you doesn't refer to the disciples directly. This was not uncommon. Like the Old Testament prophets, when they commonly spoke in the second person when foretelling future distant events, Isaiah 33, 17 to 24, Isaiah 66, 10 to 14, and Zechariah 9, 9, they would speak using the second person, and Jesus spoke as if he were directly addressing those who would be alive during that time of the tribulation. Truly I say to you, that generation, and he's speaking, and so when he says this generation, it is in reference to that future generation, just as he would use the second person pronoun, you, the generation that is which in all of these judgments which will take place. That time period will be very short, and we don't know what generation that will be, future of them. It's been a couple of thousand years. Could be our generation. These things which will happen will happen in the future generation. Perhaps this one, perhaps the next one. We don't know. It's not the generation of Jesus' time because as you can see, from all of the destruction that will happen in Revelation chapter 6 through 16, none of that has happened. There's no historical evidence that parallels all of the massive destruction that we talked about last week Sunday. All of the judgments that will be poured out upon the earth where the earth is plunged into darkness. It says in verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus says, just so we know that it is a promise, but my words will not pass away. But even though there may be these signs, when will he be coming? Verse 32, but of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. But the Father alone. Jesus is very clear at this point. That time, Father only knew what day, what hour, his second coming would be for Jesus. Now, I remember when I was in college at the UW, and one night in the Husky Union building, Campus Crusade had invited uh, Josh McDowell to come to speak. And Josh was an apologist, and this was 25 years ago, and he, he, he just loves college students, and it was just packed. It was a packed house upstairs in the ballroom. And there was this Muslim man in the back that was really causing a disturbance in the back, and he was really worked up because he would ask a question that seemingly no one back there was able to answer for them, and his question was this. He said, if Jesus is God, how come he doesn't know when he himself is coming? 
And it frustrated me as a young student because as much as I wanted to answer, I didn't know how to answer, and those who were leaders there didn't know how to answer him either. But how would you answer that? Do you know why? How would you answer this Muslim man who was angry and yelling in the back? Well, when Jesus came to earth, when Jesus was born as a baby, he voluntarily submitted the independent use of his divine attributes to the will of God. We see this in Philippians chapter 2. Everything he did, everything he knew, every exercise of his power and abilities were all submitted to God the Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Bible often talks about the fact that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He yielded himself completely to the Holy Spirit. And he yielded himself to whatever God would have. And he voluntarily withheld the independent exercise of those attributes. But it didn't make him any less God. If the, if the heavyweight boxing champion of the world decided he was going to climb into a ring and box with one arm held behind his back, he would still be the heavyweight champion of the world. So no one knows the hour of the day, except for God the Father at that point. It was a real head-scratcher to me sometimes when people come along with all of these predictions of date setting of Jesus' return, the text there is very clear. People continue to do it though. All you have to do is you go to Wikipedia and you look up the, the title, Predictions and Claims for the Second Coming of Christ. And you can scroll through page after page after page and I'm thinking to myself, goodness sakes, these people, the passage there, Jesus says, no one knows. How in the world could they think they know? So what they do now, I've noticed some of the predictions which are in the near future, because you can look at some, there'll be some like this year and I think in a couple of years, they'll say something of the range, they'll come sometime between 2021 and 2023. Jesus says, take heed, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. No one knows. So what is the point Jesus is making? The point is, you be on the alert. Verse 33, and he gives a simple illustration once again. There's a man who goes on a journey. He leaves his house. He puts his slaves in charge. He assigns duties to each one. He commands the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Four times he tells them, from verse 33 to 37, be alert, be alert, be alert, be alert. If you didn't, didn't get that, you would get this after reading this. Last phrase, verse 37, but I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. It is not unclear. Why? Because verse 33, you don't know when the appointed time is coming. You don't know when the appointed time is coming. You know, sometimes I get these letters yeah, they're from I don't know who, but you know, they send these letters and the stress of the pastor and it's about all the end time stuff and you, sometimes these are strange, very strange. Some people, I don't know how, how they misinterpret this or mis, misread this. You don't know what time he's coming. You don't know when he's coming. You don't know what's going to happen, so be on the alert. Don't set a date. You don't know. Nobody knows. God knows. You just be ready. Now Jesus says here, the evening, at midnight, when the rooster closed, or in the morning. 
Now, the Romans had a 12-hour watch, and it began at 6 p.m., 6 p.m., 9 p.m., midnight, 3 a.m., and 6 a.m. They divided it into four periods, three hours each. And these correspond to each of those four periods. When he says 9 p.m., he's referring to the evening, the, the evening watch. It would be 9 p.m. 12 midnight, that would be midnight. When the rooster crows, that would be 3 a.m. And in the morning, that would be 6 a.m. You're kept on watch. Your duty is to watch throughout the night. And each of those watches, whatever watch you have, you better not be caught sleeping. You're on alert. You're always to be on alert. Jesus explains further in Luke 21, verse 34, be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. In other words, don't get caught up with all of the things that this world would have dragging you away, all of the enjoyment and entertainment and all of the worries that you might have about this might happen, that might happen, and that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap, it says in Luke 21, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth, but keep on alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The question for us is, are you and I ready? Are you and I ready to meet our Maker? In these days, the news is full. The headlines are always about the coronavirus. And I'll bet many of them are much more worried about getting a face mask or lining up to make sure they have enough personal goods at Costco than they are to meet their maker. How can you be ready? How can you be ready? Be sure, number one, you are saved. Be sure that you are a Christian. Be sure that you have placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll bypass that time of tribulation if you're not, you'd better get ready because you don't know the day or the hour Jesus is coming. You know, when I was in high school, I just devoured this book. found this book, talked about the tribulation period, talked about the Antichrist, talked about the world devastation, Armageddon, all of that. And I really loved my friends. I was a Christian. I loved my friends. And I didn't want them to go through this horrendous time of tribulation. I remember in my science class, uh, and, and it just, I just finished the book. I was so, so burdened for them. I was just telling them in my science class about the judgments to come, about the Battle of Armageddon, about Gog and Magog, the 200 million man army from the east, which I thought, okay, that's, uh, that's Russia and that's China and all this. These people are going to come and the good portion of this was going to come and the third of the earth is going to be destroyed and, you know, this number 666, you better not get that on your hand or your forehead. Tell all my high school friends all of this stuff. And praise God, my, uh, my science teacher was as a Christian, so he let me go on and on and on and on about this. And then I, and he was listening to it. It was really, real. I mean, I just didn't want them to go through this seven-year period of tribulation, and the second coming would come, would come. And finally, a bunch of the class time was over, and he says, you know, we, we need to get back to teaching. So my friend who's next to me, he leans over, his longtime friend of mine, still my friend, and he leans over, and he says, uh, uh, you know, Joey, uh, I... I can become a Christian right before all this happens, right? I said, yeah, but 
you don't know when. You don't know when. And I think that really captures a lot of the sentiment of some people who think they just want to fly under the radar. They want to live how they want to live until that time. And then when that time comes, they see all these things and now I'll just become a Christian then. problem is that if they don't want the Savior now, why would they want the Savior later? The Bible says even during the time of tribulation, they will realize, the kings of the earth will realize that it is God who is raining down all of these things and they will curse God. If you turn your Bibles in the book of Second Peter, we'll end with this particular section here. It tells us what the end times will be like. Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. No one knows, and you can't decide right before because you never know when you may die. You may never know when Christ will come. You never know. But this is the sentiment, Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. But know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. People will make fun of you. They will ridicule you, following after their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. These people are called uniformitarians. Learned about that in Sunday school today. They think of themselves, hey, everything has been always this way and it will always continue this way. Where is Jesus? He's not going to come because everything is just going to continue on for all of this time. Verse 5. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar of the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. This is not just global warming, it's global burning. We first began here. Everything will be burned up and the judgment will come. This will be the judgment, this day of judgment, the destruction will come. And as I shared with you two weeks ago, the purpose of all of this end times eschatology that is given to us is for godly living today. That is why it says in verse 11 of 2 Peter 3, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be? in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace spotless and blameless and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. God is patient, not desiring any would come under that judgment, but desiring that people would come to salvation. Are you ready? Are you ready 
The only way to be spotless and blameless that it says here in verse 14 is to be a person who has repented of their sins, to place one's faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, believing that Jesus died and rose again, guaranteeing our hope of eternal life. And anyone who would call unto God for salvation will be saved. Since all these things are going to be destroyed in this way, verse 11, what sort of people ought you to be? What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and in godliness? Because the end is coming. Be on the alert. Be ready and be saved. The word of the Lord, as Romans 10, 8 tells us, is in your heart and your mouth. The word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there will be no distinction between Jew and Greek. And in verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Because one day, there will be a time when one will not be able to call upon the name of the Lord anymore. That day, no one knows. That day of judgment will come. The day of reckoning will come. The day in which all will be made right and the glory of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to judge those who are sinners and to reward those who are his own. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's pray. Father in heaven, someday, O oh God, you will call us home. Whether it be by death, you will call us home, or whether it will be by your coming, you will call us home. We pray, God, that we might be ready. And Father, we pray for anyone who is not sure, not sure of their own salvation, not sure that if they were to die today, whether it be by an accident or whether it be by illness, God, whether or not they would be at home with you. We pray that they might repent, turn from living their own way, turn from their own stubborn heart and give their lives to you. We pray, Father, they might surrender themselves to you and trust in you, knowing that you died and rose again for sinners, that, Father, they might receive eternal life. And, Father, we pray that you would save their souls, for you desire that they come to you in humility, recognizing their great need of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.